All right, we are continuing our study of 2 Corinthians here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 16. And it really is the wrap-up to the first large major section of the letter. So let's make sure we know where we're at and we set this little section in context. What happens here in 7.5 is Paul returns to where he left off. If you remember, many recordings ago, Paul had been narrating why his travel plans changed and how he had gone into Macedonia. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Let me just read that for you so you don't forget where we're at in the letter. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13 says, Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. So saying goodbye to them, I went on into Macedonia. And that's where Paul left off his travel plans. Paul breaks off at that moment, talking about how he went into Macedonia looking for Titus, but he never tells them or us what happened when he went into Macedonia. Instead, he broke off to describe his whole approach to ministry, why it looks the way it does, and in short, what he has said in the end of chapter 2 all the way up through the uh, middle of chapter 6 was, my ministry looks the way it does is because it embodies the very gospel I preach. It looks like death, burial, resurrection, and thus the weakness and the struggle of my ministry. And so he's had all this middle section since 2.13 up till now describing his ministry and never having explained what happened when he went into Macedonia. Well, now... Having explained his approach to ministry and having concluded that, that explanation with an appeal for them to open their hearts to him, just like his heart is open to them, now what he does here in chapter 7 verse 5 is he returns back to the narrative of his travel plans and how he went into Macedonia looking for Titus, how he left Troas, went back to Macedonia hunting for Titus, what happened? Well, now we get that as Paul wraps up this first large major section of the letter. So chapter 7, verse 5, coming back to his travel plans, Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. And if you uh, recall, chapter 2, verse 13 that I read just a moment ago, Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding my Titus. So when he was in Troas, he had no rest. We came into Macedonia and guess what? Our flesh had no rest. He's, he's anxious. He's uptight. He's wondering what's going on. He's looking for Titus. He's hoping to find him. He says, we're afflicted on every side. There was hostility and tension and conflicts on the outside that he's dealing with. And there's fears on the inside because uh, he's worried about the Corinthians. He's worried about Titus and what's going on. And then, and then he finally found Titus, verse 6. But God, but God who comforts the discouraged, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And so 
in the midst of the, this difficult season and the struggle and the anxiety and the conflicts on the outside and the fears on the inside, in the midst of all that, but God. And God is the one, notice how he's described in verse 6, who comforts the discouraged. And that word comfort, we've talked about it before. It doesn't just mean, you know, he he cuddles you and makes you feel all soft and warm. It means he fortifies you. He strengthens you. And so it's not just that he, he, he tells you it's going to be okay. He, he does that, but he does more than that. He gives you the strength to keep going. He fortifies the discouraged. Those who just aren't sure how they're going to keep going, he gives you the strength to do it. And so God, who comforts the discouraged, what did he do? He comforted us. He strengthened us. He encouraged us. He comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And so finally, there in Macedonia, Titus arrived and Paul found him. And Paul says, I was comforted by his arrival. Look at verse 7. And not only by his arrival, it's not just by the fact that I found him and I was glad Titus is safe and all that, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted among you. So Titus was encouraged and built up uh, by the Corinthians when he was there as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. And so so that I rejoiced even more. And so when, when Paul found Titus, oh, he was so excited and happy. Big hugs, grand welcoming, yes. And yet there was even greater cause for rejoicing when he ran, ran into Titus there in Macedonia because Titus brought good word from Corinth. He brought a good word of their response. Now recall that the reason Titus had gone to Corinth and now has come back to Paul is Paul had written another letter, a letter that we don't have in our New Testament, a letter that is often referred to as the, the painful letter or the sorrowful letter. Um, and Paul sent that with Titus to Corinth, and then he's waiting and waiting and waiting to hear back from Titus to see how the Corinthians would respond to that. And so Paul is just incredibly grateful for the news that Titus brought about how the Corinthians had responded. And so now Paul knows that, oh, good, things are working out in the right direction. And that's what he's getting at when he says, as he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, that those words describe the Corinthians' response to that letter and how, oh, they want to make things right and how they, their mourning, their sorrow, their, their regret and repentance for what they've done. And all of that brought Paul greater joy. And so Paul now goes on to offer some of his reflections on this whole experience, his experience of sending that letter and now getting word of their response. And so Paul explains, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now he's got more to say about that, but let's just kind of put ourselves into Paul's shoes so we understand exactly what he's getting at. This is very relational language, dealing with a very specific situation, and we kind of need to get ourselves into Paul's place so we understand what's going on. I He writes this letter to them, and he says, I, I did regret it for a little while, but now I don't regret it because I see the response it caused in you. What is he getting at? 
Well, I think we can all kind of imagine the situation. You, you send a text or you shoot an email or you write a note to a friend and it was dealing with a difficult situation. And once you wrote it, you're like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have sent that. Oh, I, I hope they respond all right. You don't hear back for a while. And then you're beginning to play the tape in your head. What exactly did I say? How are they? And you begin to wonder, is it the right thing? Should have I done that? Should have I said that? Maybe I should have said it like this, right? We've all been there where we've done that sort of stuff. Well, that's where Paul is at. Paul's dealing with that. And he's not doing it via text or email. He's doing it like with the ultimate snail mail. He had weeks, maybe even a, a month or two to wonder what was going on in Corinth. He sends off Titus with that letter. Titus has to travel there. And then uh, he has to kind of do some ministry and deal with some situations in Corinth and then travel back to Paul. So we're talking weeks that Paul is beginning to wonder how did that go? How did they respond? Maybe I should have said it like this. Oh, I hope they respond all right. What's going on? That's where he's been. And now Titus has arrived and they've responded positively to that letter. And he's so grateful and he's so glad and he's so joyful. That's the situation here that he's beginning to describe in verse eight. So I wrote that letter. I don't regret it. I did kind of regret it for a while. I was wondering about all of that. But now that I see that the letter caused you sorrow, but only for a while. And then he goes on in verse nine and says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. So I rejoice, not, not because my letter was harsh and it made you sad and made you grieve and mourn. I, I rejoice because it actually led you to repentance. It led you to realize the error of your ways, to respond positively back towards Paul, to his ministry, to pure devotion to Jesus. And so he says, for, middle of verse 9, for... You were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Notice that. You were made sorrowful according to the will of God, literally just according to God. That is according to God's value system and according to God's intent and purposes. And so my letter made you sorrowful, but it made you sorrowful so that, here's the result of this letter and their repentance, so that you might not suffer anything or suffer any loss in anything through us. In other words, uh, through this relational breakdown and through the situation, you don't lose anything. Maybe, Paul simply means, in our relationship, that there's no loss. We're back together and our relationship is being healed and we can restore and rebuild this relationship. So maybe that, but maybe even in your relationship with God, because that's where Paul goes in verse 10, knowing that Paul teaches the truth, knowing that the, the gospel he preaches is the true gospel. If they're not aligned with Paul, Paul's concerned about their very belief and their very relationship to God. And so this suffering of loss is maybe only Paul's relationship with them and their relationship with him, but it could also be, and it seems like Paul's concerned also about their relationship with God. And so look at verse 10. He says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret unto salvation, leading to salvation, or just literally unto salvation. So repentance without regret unto salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And so Paul's saying like, the sorrow you had was the sorrow according to God, according to the will of God. Why? Because while it was sorrowful, there was no regret in it because it led to repentance unto salvation. 
And so it seems like Paul was concerned about not just their relationship with Paul, but their relationship with God and their salvation because of it all. And, and so he's so grateful for their positive response. And that's why he rejoices. Not that he made them sorrowful, but that it led to repentance. And then he goes on in verse 11 to really describe their response that he's heard from Titus. And so he says, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. Here's what he's heard from Titus about their response. And he's just so glad for this. What earnestness this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment of wrong. And all these phrases describe how they responded to that letter that Titus brought from Paul and how they responded to the situation in the church and how they're responding now back towards Paul. And so he says, what vindication, which suggests a determination to make things right. That's the sense. What vindication, like you determined to make things right. You wanted to do what's right. What indignation, the wrong that they've done, the wrong that those maybe who came in from the outside that Paul's going to address later in the letter, or even the wrong from some of the majority or some of those in the church who maybe had positions of influence and power and used it to, to you know, drive this wedge between them and Paul, all of that, um, now they've experienced indignation towards that, towards their part in it, towards other people's part. It's like, no, that was wrong. We shouldn't have acted that way. Uh, what fear, perhaps maybe the fear of loss, Perhaps the fear of their broken relationship and how that would affect their spiritual life. All of a sudden they realize, oh man, we were like standing on the edge of the cliff and we just didn't even realize it until we got this letter and our eyes were open and we really saw what we had done, right? That idea. Uh, what longing, that is longing for Paul, longing for what's right, longing to be reconciled. What zeal, again, zeal to make things right, zeal to put things in, in the right order, and zeal for Christ. What punishment, when he says, notice that, punishment of wrong, that is punishment of the wrongdoers who really are the ones that stirred up the problems. And so they've, they've dealt with it. They've seen what's gone on and they've responded well to the letter that Paul brought. And that's just bought brought Paul so much joy because their sorrow led to genuine repentance, not just feelings of repentance, actions of repentance. And so Paul says, in everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. In, in other words, in everything, you proved that you're not the ones ultimately that were totally responsible for this. You weren't the ringleaders of this situation. And so in that sense, you're innocent of this matter and they can be restored to relationship with Paul. And so Paul says in verse 12, so although I wrote to you, it wasn't for the sake of the offender nor for the sake of the one offended. Ultimately, that wasn't really what it was for. Uh, I wrote to you and it wasn't primarily about that, but, but that your earnestness in our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. Ultimately, what, what I really was aiming for was for your own zeal for God. Uh, in relationship to us, might be made known to you. They might have a clearer grasp on their own earnestness for what's right. Now they see that. They're like, yes, we really do want what's right. Yes, we really recognize more fully, more clearly what's right. And we want this. And so Paul says in verse 13, because of this, we've been comforted. Because your earnestness has been stirred up, because you're more aware of it and we can see it, because of all of this, we've been comforted by the arrival of Titus. And besides our comfort, Verse 13, he goes on and says, We rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, 
because his spirit, spirit has been refreshed by you all. In other words, the way Titus was encouraged by you guys, the way your response brought him joy and refreshed his spirit, and Titus came and shared that with us, and man, that brought even more joy to see his joy and all of that. All of this language speaks directly again to the Corinthians uh, about Paul's love for them and about Paul's eagerness to be reconciled to them and hearing how they're eager as well and how that brought joy to Titus. That's brought Paul greater joy and greater comfort. And Paul continues really building up the Corinthians by the way they've responded to this with his uh, what he says in verse 14. Look at verse 14 where he says, For, getting furthering this explanation of how their response to Titus and the letter has brought him comfort and joy, for... If I have boasted to him, that is to Titus, if I have boasted to him about you regarding anything, I wasn't put to shame. Like, I celebrated you to Titus. I told him I had confidence in you. I told him I believed in you. And guess what? Your response proved the point. And there was no dishonor, no shame in my uh, boasting about the Corinthians, right? That's his point. Uh, They showed how genuine they were. They showed that Paul's positive words about them were actually true in how they responded to that letter and how they treated Titus. And Paul goes on in the middle of verse 14 and says, But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. And so our words about you actually proved true. In the way you responded. And so verse 15, his, that is Titus, Titus's affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all. So there's Titus sharing with Paul all about how they responded to the letter and how they dealt with the wrongdoers and how they responded to him. And as he uh, recollected on all of that and shared those stories with Paul, man, um, Titus, it was like his affection was growing before Paul's eyes and how you received him. That is how the Corinthians received Titus with fear and trembling, like they welcomed him honestly and humbly with fear and trembling. And Paul then says in verse 16, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you all. And so this is really kind of like wrapping up that first major section. Paul tells his travel plans, breaks them off, and it goes into this long description of his ministry and why it looks the way it does and how it's intended to bring the glory of God and the face of Christ to them. But that means he has to embody the gospel, which is self-giving and self-lowering. And so he describes all of that to them. Then he makes that direct appeal to open their hearts back to Paul. And now here he comes back to his travel plans and he, he finishes the story and in doing so, it wraps it all up by saying, and I am so grateful for how you responded. And I am so grateful and I'm so glad that in everything I can have confidence in you. And it's really a beautiful picture of Paul's pastoral leadership. Here's Paul, the apostle. He didn't just blow these guys off. He has worked tirelessly for months and months trying to deal with what's going on in the church, uh, trying to repair his relationship with them, and graciously welcoming them back 
when, when they respond properly. It is a beautiful picture of Paul's courage to walk towards the mess of this relationship and not just give up on it and work with them to help them see what it means to embody the gospel and live for Jesus and really try to call them back to himself. And so it provides for us really a powerful example of pastoral concern, pastoral courage, pastoral care, and how Paul works very diligently to try to help restore these people, not just to himself, but also to the fullness of following Jesus that's embodied in his message and his ministry. And it would do us well today those in ministry, like paid vocational ministry, those in volunteer ministry, and just those who are trying to follow Jesus, to, to look at Paul's example and to recognize how tenacious he was in trying to repair this relationship and just learn uh, ways that maybe we can embody that same spirit and that same devotion, even when it's challenging and difficult. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So if you're one of those who supports this ministry, thanks a ton for the impact that you are having through your generous gifts all around the world. And if you want to join the team of supporters, easiest way to do that is to go to listenerscommentary.com, click the, the Give tab up in the top, and it'll take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount, click a little box that says Make This Monthly, or leave that box unclicked, give a one-time donation. All monthly donors get access to the Study Hub. And so thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you. May he lead you as you seek and serve him.